Good morning. Uh, I don't know if you know this about me or not, um, but I have a beard. Um, I've had it for about five or six weeks. Um, it actually started just because I was lazy. I didn't shave for a couple of days. I was on a call, a Zoom call with somebody, and I actually pointed out his scruff, and he was like, me, look at you. And I was like, oh, yeah, wow. And then I thought, you know, I'm this far in. It was only, whatever, five days or so, but I had a fishing trip coming up. Uh, we go to, we were in, this year we were in this area in near the Idaho-Montana uh, border, staying in a cabin in a wooded area. Yeah, nice. I didn't know if it was going to work or not. I caught that. Um, <laughs> My rod actually broke catching that fish. It was day one, 30 minutes in, and my rod snapped. But at least I, I landed that guy. Um, it's a beautiful brown trout. Um, well, now you know I'm telling the truth, that I'm not a liar. So, um, But anyway, uh, it just felt right to have a beard, you know? Like woods, cabin, guys, fishing. So I grew it, and um, yeah. But now I'm home, and I still have it. And uh, there's one person that I'm very close to who's not a fan. Uh, <laughs> she let me know that as soon as she picked me up at the airport. She was like, oh, you still have that thing. I don't like it. And I'm like, I know, I know you do. But I, I kept it because, um, well, one, I can play with it. Um, <laughs> ponder, you know. But um, no, I kept it because it's, it, it reminds me of where I just was. And at this retreat, uh, with these guys, these are guys I've known for a really long time. We've been doing this trip for 10 years. Um, we are deeply invested in each other's lives. Um, they know, we know things about each other that a lot of people don't know about each other. And, uh, and uh, you know, night one was just, we were just talking about life and, you know, the struggles. Life is hard. And we're, some of us are struggling through some things, have been struggling through some things for the last couple of years, actually. And uh, we talked and we cried and we prayed, and it was really, really cool. Um, and then another night, a guy gets up and he starts talking. And uh, he uh, has a, some land in, in, in Atlanta. He has some horses, therapy horses. I didn't realize horses were therapy animals. If, if you guys knew that, I didn't. Uh, but he has therapy horses, and apparently they're really good therapy animals. You get around a horse, and your blood pressure drops, and your heart rate slows down. Um, so they're really therapeutic. And then if you need, like, intentional therapy, it's, it's a, just a great environment for that. But he was saying, like, he gave us these two words, task and connection, task and connection. You know, so he said, like, we see a horse, and we start thinking of what we want to do with the horse. We want to maybe pet it or brush it or ride it, run, like whatever it may be. We have all these tasks that we want to do, and this horse is just an object. But the horse is not an object. It's a horse. It has it's a mind of its own, and it's not going to do what you want it to do if you don't establish connection first. So there's a process of walking up to it, pointing your belly button at its hind quarters, and he actually moves towards you if he wants connection. I, I can't really go into all of it, but it's this process of, of taking time, making an effort to build connection with this, with this horse. And then once the connection is established, once you've built this relationship, then you can go together and do what you want to do. 
It's a really cool process. So after telling that story, he turns to all of us and he says, well, what are you? How would you define yourself? If you had to use those two words, how would you define yourself, describe yourself? Are you more task-oriented or are you more connection-oriented? You know, so it didn't take me long to think about what I'm like. You know, I'm task-oriented. Um, other people are more connection-oriented. It's kind of our, our bent or our wiring, uh, but this has an impact. It has an effect. And so we're going to work through Scripture, and there's going to be a good amount of verses, and I don't know if they're going to make it up there or not. Um, you guys can turn to them in your Bibles. We're going to start in Matthew chapter 3. We're going to work into 5. We'll also make it into 7, and then we'll spend some time in 8. Um, so it's, there's going to be a decent amount of verses, but I don't think that's a bad thing. So, as we read through these verses, keep thinking about, and I'm not going to keep pointing it out, but keep thinking about task versus connection. Task versus connection, okay? So, chapter 3, and I want to say this, like, so, this, what I'm about to share with you guys is what the Lord has been doing to me. He has been speaking to me big time, even before this, this guy actually gave me two words that helped me whatever words or an idea, or words to the idea, or words to the, the message that the Lord has been speaking to me. So uh, I don't feel like I'm preaching at you more so than just sharing where I'm at and what the Lord is doing. So anyway, uh, Matthew 3, verses 13 through 17. All right, they're up there. Uh, it says this, Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? And Jesus answered him, let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved Son, with whom I'm well pleased. All right, so the baptism of Jesus, we know that. And we see the three members of the Trinity, like at the baptism, we hear the voice of God the Father, God the Son bodily in Jesus, and then God the Spirit descends on Jesus in the form of the dove. And, and so there's two things that, again, we can't miss. And I want to talk about, it's, it's the voice of God the Father, and it's the Spirit of God descending on Jesus. And so this Spirit comes and he rests on Jesus. Right? It's like, I don't know if you can see that, but it's, it's intentional. Like John, I mean, Matthew communicates this intentionally. He gives us this picture that the Spirit of God has now come, has descended, and is resting on Jesus. Right? This clip makes it clear. Jesus and Luke would say, uh, as he quotes Isaiah, he said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind and to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Right, so the Spirit of the Lord is now on Jesus, and then the voice of the Lord speaks. This is my beloved Son with whom I'm well pleased. Now again, at this, up till this point, Jesus has done nothing. No tasks, no public ministry. And this is what we see, and this is what we hear. So it's the voice of the Father that's affirming Jesus' identity. And he's the beloved Son. It's connection. Right? The Spirit of God descends on Jesus, rests on him, 
It's the visible, we see it visibly, this connection. Jesus, the Spirit, the Father, right? There's a connection there. And so again, this passage is all about connection. And so what Jesus will now go and do and what he will say comes because of this connection that he has to the Father. And he verbalizes this in the Gospel of John. He says, these words that I speak, these are my Father's words. These things that I do, it's because the Father taught me how to, he showed me how to do them. In fact, he goes on to say, the Father is in me. Right? These are his words. He's actually doing these things through me. Right? This whole thing is about Jesus is being connected to the, to the Father. And so what happens next is this, the Spirit right, leads Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted. And because of his affirmed identity, because of this connection to the Father, Jesus endures, Jesus succeeds. It's a message for us. Right? Jesus endures this trial period, but he does so because he's connected with the Father. Right? He's then launched into public ministry. Does a bunch of things first, and then he, he goes, and, and we're going to go to Matthew 5 if you want to flip there. And, uh, yeah, we're going to look at the B attitudes. The, the, the B attitudes, not the do attitudes, right? So even that makes me think connection versus task. So I'll read these. Blessed, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. And blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, blessed can mean happy or fortunate, but here it more means like in right standing with God. You know, so you're in right standing with God when you're poor in spirit. Poor is like destitute, bankrupt. When you recognize that you have nothing that God really wants or desires, you are empty and you need from him. Right? You need him. That's poor in spirit. Blessed are you who mourn. You mourn over your sinfulness. You mourn over the, the world. You mourn over these things because things are not right. right. That's right with God. The meek, hunger and thirst for righteousness, I want to be righteous, right, with God. I want righteous living. I want it for others. I want to live in a world that is righteous, right? We hunger for that if we are right with God, if we're a kingdom citizen. Merciful, pure in heart, peacemakers. The peacemaker, our desire as a peacemaker is to make peace, not just with us and not just with men, but help men make peace with God, women make peace with God. Like, that's a peacemaker. He says they should be called sons of God, right? This is someone who's blessed or is righteous, and also persecuted, we can't overlook that. And if we are right with God, if this is who we are, these are the things that we do, there's a really good chance we're going to be persecuted. And these describe Jesus. This, that describes Jesus right there. So the Beatitudes are telling us, be like Jesus. It's also telling us that you will be like Jesus. This will be what you're like. like these will define you as you grow to be more like Jesus. And if we looked through the whole sermon, which we're not going to, the whole thing is speaking about a contrast right, between the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of this world, between two identities. Right? Are you a citizen of this kingdom or that kingdom? Between connection and task. That's what the sermon is talking about. He's saying to us, be a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. Right? Be like Jesus. Don't be a citizen of the kingdom of this world. Don't be like this, but be like that, right? 
be connected to God, the Spirit can transform you into more of a kingdom of a citizen of this kingdom. He also says, don't just do in this sermon, right? Absent of connection. He says, be salt, be light, for this is what you are, right? And then he starts pointing fingers. Don't be like them. Right? Don't do what they do. Don't worry like them. Don't store up treasures like them, right? Don't give like them. Don't pray like them. Don't fast like them. No, be different than that. Because of who you are, because of your connection to the Father, do these things with Him, for Him, right? from Him. Don't just practice your righteousness as if it's a bunch of tasks. Right? Be connected to the Father and then do these things. He actually calls God Father. He tells us to call God Father. That's relationship. That's connection. Right? How do you view God, the Father? That's such a great question. How do you see Him? And is he your loving father that you're connected to, or is he a taskmaster? It's just asking you to do the right things and not do the wrong things. He's not even asking us to do things for him. Again, he's asking us to do things with him. I think that's so amazing. So let's jump now, if you will, to 7, Matthew 7. We're going to get to 8, and that's where I'll spend more time, but... This is like that scary passage nobody wants to talk about, and I guess John talked about it, Um, so I guess someone wants to talk about it. Um, But I'll read it, 21 through 23 of chapter 7. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. What's the accusation that Jesus levels against them, against these people? He says, I don't know you. I don't know you. We're not connected. We don't have a relationship. You're just a bunch of task doers. You're out there doing things. Right? He calls them workers, task doers, workers of lawlessness. You're doing all these things absent of your connection to me. Right? This, this passage does not have to be scary. It doesn't have to be scary. If we are connected to the Father through his Son, if we have the Holy Spirit, then the things that we are doing are from him, with him. We don't have to worry about being workers of lawlessness. Depart from me, I never knew you. We will know the Father. We need to know the Father. But they come to him and they say, Lord, Lord, right? So they have the right word, but the word Lord means a couple of different things. And one of it is just master. And it's just master. So they see themselves as servants, and at times that's the right way to view ourselves, but in this context, they're just doers of things. Again, absent of relationship, absent of connection. And so another, for us, how do we see the Lord? Okay, let's move to chapter 8. This is where I wanted to be the whole time anyway. That was all build up. (laughs) So what we see, right, uh, as Jesus teaches 5, 6, and 7, is he's teaching like the kingdom ethic, what it looks like to be a citizen of the kingdom, Again, this is what it should look like. This is what it should look like. And if you are connected to the Father, this is what it looks like to know the Father, to be led and used by the Holy Spirit. And now Jesus is going to demonstrate it. 
Right? So he preaches it, but then he goes out and does it. Right? He's not all talk. Um, he does it. He models it. He's the example. And so eight, chapter 8, verses 1 through 4 says, When he came down from the mountain, great crowds followed him. And behold, a leper came to him and knelt before him, saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. Jesus stretched out his hand and he touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed, and Jesus said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priests, and offer the gift that Moses commanded for proof to them. So the first person that Jesus encounters when he comes down to the mountain, according to Matthew, is a leper. Now, leprosy then was an incurable disease, but maybe more importantly, is that it put the individual in a state of uncleanness. Uncleanness. When you're unclean, it meant that you couldn't come into the camp. Right? Old Testament, you couldn't come, think of the Israelites in the Exodus. You couldn't come into the camp. You couldn't enter into God's presence. Right? This individual in this time couldn't go to temple. Right? He couldn't go home. He had to leave his family, his job, whatever, go live in a leper colony. Right? This guy was completely disconnected, separated. With other forms of uncleanness, you could ceremonial wash, there was a time period that you had to wait out, and then you could be determined to be clean and you can re-enter, right? But not so with leprosy. There's no ceremonial washing, there's no time period, there's nothing, no task, nothing you can do to change your situation. You are unclean, that's it. You are disconnected, you're kicked out of the camp, that's it. Enter Jesus, right, into the story. So this leper doesn't run up to Jesus and say, give me a bunch of tasks to do. Tell me what I can do to make myself right, to change my situation, right? That's the rich young ruler. This, this guy doesn't do that. In fact, he doesn't even ask for a healing. If you notice that, he doesn't ask for a healing. He doesn't say, just heal me. Right? He's healed. He can go home. He can go back to work. It's not what he asks for. He asks to be cleansed. His heart is to be reconnected. He wants to go back to the temple. He wants to go back into the presence of God, and so he comes up to Jesus. And these are the words he says. He says, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. It's not a matter of whether or not he can. It's a matter of whether or not he wants to, but he knows he can. And the reason he knows he can is because this word Lord has another meaning. And I just learned this, and I thought this was really cool. I hope you guys do too. The word Lord can also mean supernatural master of all supernatural master of all. Right? So not just a master who gives you things to do. He's the supernatural master of everything. There's nothing that's outside of his realm of being master. Right? So he says, you, supernatural master of all, you can make me clean. Like, only you can make me clean if you want to. What does Jesus do? He touches him. He establishes a physical connection. Like, how beautiful is that? Like, who knows when the last time this guy's been touched? Right? He's got a disease. It's a skin disease. You don't touch this guy. In fact, when he walks down the road, he has to yell, unclean, cross over to the other side, to let everybody know to his own shame, right, that he's this diseased individual. And yet Jesus touches him, establishes physical connection, and then he verbalizes and says, I will. Like, be clean. And he heals this guy. Like, this is why Jesus came. The reason I think Matthew gives us this guy as the first individual that Jesus encounters is because he represents 
humanity. All of us. All of us are unclean. All of us are disconnected, separated. Right? Because of our sinfulness, we're separated. We're not connected to the Father. And our only means of connection is Jesus. It's not what we can do. There's no tasks that we can do to establish a connection. It's all about Jesus. It's what he has done. He is the only one that can make us clean. Jesus readmits him back into the presence of God, but this guy knows he's already standing in the presence of God. Right? The supernatural master of all. And then, yes, Jesus does give him a task. He says, go to the priests, make the offering that Moses commanded, but the task comes after the connection. Do you hear that? And the task comes from Jesus. This guy didn't create his own task. Jesus gives him the task, but it comes after the connection. They're connected. Yes, then there's something you can go do. Sure. Right? Not before. Again, this passage is about connection. We'll move on in Matthew to verses 5 through 13. It's the next encounter that Jesus gives us, or Matthew, excuse me, gives us that Jesus has. And I'll read. It says, When he had entered Capernaum, a centurion came forward to him, appealing to him, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. And he said to him, I will come and heal him. But the centurion replied, Lord, I'm not worthy to have you come under my roof. Only say the word and my servant will be healed, for I too am a man under authority, with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he marveled. And he said to those who followed him, Truly I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. I tell you, many will come from the east and the west and recline at table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. While the sons of the kingdom will be thrown out into outer darkness, in that place they'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And to the centurion, Jesus said, Go and let it be done for you as you have believed. The servant was healed at that very moment. So a centurion, it's a Roman commander of at least 100 soldiers, a hated, hated Roman commander. Before he can even ask, tells Jesus the situation, but before he even asks for anything, Jesus volunteers, like, I will go. I will heal your servant. And then what comes next is astonishing. Even Jesus, it says, marveled at this man. Right? He marvels at this man. Because this man, the centurion, has this understanding of who Jesus is beyond anybody else that Jesus has encountered, especially those in Israel and especially those who are with him. You know who he's talking about? Those who are with him are the disciples. Right? This man understands who Jesus is. He understands that he's the supernatural master of all, right? He says, I understand authority. I'm under it, but I also have it. I tell someone to go, he goes. Come, he comes. Jump, he jumps. Like, I get it. And if I have that kind of power and authority, and I can speak and things happen, how much more so you? Like, if you're the supernatural master of all, just say it. You don't have to come. Just say it. Everything is under you. That's incredible. This isn't even a Jewish guy. He's a Roman. And he sees this. He knows this. He understands this. That's what Jesus commends. That's what he praises. He praises this man's faith, his belief, his trust, his understanding. Right? This is what he praises. I don't know 
if I, I, I struggle, I don't know if I could do that. I have stuff in my life I want Jesus to fix. Can I just say, no, I trust you. No, I want him to come with me. I want, him, I want to see it. This guy gets it. He gets it. Then Jesus reveals this really hard truth, and I think we need to hear this as much as they needed to hear it. He says, entrance into the kingdom is not by lineage or birth or even proximity. Right? It's by having this belief and this understanding of who Jesus is. This trust in who he is and what only he can do. Right? This is what he says to the people. We're going to look at one more passage. Also in chapter 8, it's verses 23 through 27. And before this passage, Matthew tells us that Jesus continues to heal with the touch and cast out demons with the word and heal all kinds of sick. And again, the disciples are with him. They are seeing this. They're hearing this. They just saw the leper. They just saw the centurion. They just saw and heard all these things. So Matthew 8, 23 through 27. When he got into the boat, his disciples followed him. And behold, there arose a great storm on the sea, so that the boat was being swamped by the waves, but he was asleep. And they went and woke him, saying, Save us, Lord, we're perishing. And he said to them, Why are you afraid? O you of little faith. Then he rose and he rebuked the winds and the sea. There was a great calm. And the men marveled, saying, What sort of man is this? that even the winds and the sea obey him. What sort of man is this, that even the winds and the sea obey him? So there's a great storm. The disciples are afraid, understandably so. It's the storm that drives them to Jesus. It's the storm and their fear that caused them to say these words, Lord, Lord save us, we're going to die. So they have this acknowledgement that Jesus can save them. So maybe they have a level of understanding of who Jesus is and what he's capable of doing, but their fear apparently reveals something because Jesus calls them out on it, right? He says, he says they have little faith, little belief, little trust, little understanding. Right? The centurion was praised for his, and they're critiqued for theirs. Right? They're so close to Jesus. Right? They've been with him, seen, heard, and yet somehow they still don't get it. They're still not completely seeing it. Right? Jesus is the supernatural master of all. He's not who is this man. Right? He's, he's more than the man. He's the God-man right? over everything. And so I started thinking about the disciples. And just so you know, the disciples are in these stories for us. They're there so that we see ourselves. Like I started thinking about the disciples and I thought, that's me. Like, that's me. We see, we hear, we know, but yet we forget. And I thought about the disciples, like maybe, maybe they're too task-oriented. Maybe there's this task that's really important to them. And I thought about a question that the disciples ask Jesus often, which is, when are you going to set up your kingdom? When are you going to set up your kingdom, Jesus? Or the things that they kind of argued about, which is who's going to be the greatest, me or you? And who's going to have this seat of prominence, me or you? And so what was the important thing in their mind, it seems, is the kingdom. 
when Jesus is going to establish the kingdom, but they're placed within it, these, these special places within it. And so it seems maybe Jesus had become an object to them. Yes, they're with him, and he's the Messiah, but he's this means to an end. He's going to establish this kingdom. When are you going to do it, Lord? When are you going to establish the kingdom? Right? He dies, he resurrects, he's with them, he's explaining things to them, and even right up to his ascension, they say, Lord, now are you going to establish your kingdom? It was about this kingdom, this idea of the kingdom that they had. You know, they were going to get rid of Rome, going to be this great nation, and they were going to be these, maybe these power figures within it. They, they missed something. And maybe it was a deeper connection with Jesus. Maybe this idea, this task was too great in their eyes. Right? It takes desperate situations. It took a desperate situation for them to come to beg Jesus to reveal a little bit maybe more of who we are. And I think about us, like we live on this side of the cross. We understand the story. They didn't, so I want to cut them some slack also. But this idea of connection, like they, they were with him and yet still seemed to miss it. So Jesus tells them in Acts 1, like, it's not for you to know that when the kingdom is going to be established. Right? That's, God will take care of that. But he says this to them, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Like you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Just like the Holy Spirit came upon Jesus, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. And you will receive power, right? this connection to the Father. Then you will be. You will be something. You will be witnesses. It's a noun. This is who you now are because of who God has made you. Because of this connection, you will be witnesses. And then because of the connection and who you now are, you will now go do. You will now go and witness. This is what you will do. Right? It's all because of the connection and from the connection. Their doing comes from their being. The tasks come after the connection. So they get it, Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit comes upon them, and all of a sudden, boom, this whole thing explodes. And it says they turned the world upside down. This is what the disciples did. And it was all because of their connection to the Father. Jesus tells the disciples, Man, what I've done, you're going to do more, greater things than these. Right? Why? Because the Father is in you. It's connection. Jesus says, I'm going to send you a helper, the Holy Spirit. Right? Connection. 15.5, I'm the vine, you're the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Right? It's all about the connection. Apart from him, we do nothing. So we too have the same spirit if we believe, trusted, right? become a follower of Jesus. We too have this connection. Right? We too can be turning this world upside down. So why aren't we? Right? So this is where I step down from here and I'm sitting here with you all, okay? Like I work in public, prayed, professional, whatever you want to call it, ministry. And I'm asking myself this same exact question. Why am I not turning the world upside down? What am I missing? Again, this is the message that God has been speaking to me. And what I realized is that my relationship with the Lord had become task-oriented. Tasks. My efforts to be with God, to read and to pray and to have some alone time, in the front of my mind was what was the next task I had to do. For Him, right? If it was a Bible study or whatever I'm doing, but it was task. 
task, task. Even the morning that I, the mornings that I had, it was, all right, I have to do this, and then I have to do that, and then I'll do that. It was like this formula of tasks, and then I was needing God and using God to help accomplish other tasks. This is where, where I had gotten to. What I was missing was just being with the Lord and connecting with him, you know? So how did I realize this? Well, I was experiencing futility, which I think we can all relate to. But then life was happening. All around me, life was happening, just like it does for you. And I was experiencing anxiousness and fear and worry. And the things Jesus talks about in the Sermon on the Mount of these indicators, these revealers to us that we're living more in the kingdom of this world and not the kingdom of heaven, and we become disconnected from our Father. Like, I believe, right, in Jesus the Lord. I believe that he's a supernatural master of all. I just wasn't living in this reality of it, right? And my life and the lives of the, those that I love were taking me down, like taking me down. And I was in despair. I'll be honest with you. There was days that I would wake up and I would go into my office and I could do nothing but just lay on the floor and cry. Just cry. I was, so, I was hurting and I was afraid and I was helpless. Like there wasn't anything I could do and there wasn't anything I could tell people to do to fix the things that needed to get fixed. And in those moments... What I wanted was not, Jesus, tell me what to do. Give me tasks to do. What I wanted was to sit in the lap of my daddy. And I wanted to rest my head on his chest. And I wanted to just cry with him. It's all I wanted. I was so desperate for this connection to him. It's the only thing I cared about. At one point, I went to a monastery like maybe I can get more connected there to find his sacred presence. And if you have time, some other time and place, it's a really funny story because it didn't happen. <laughs> but, but in reality, like this idea of connection to the Father has become my primary focus. Not what I must do, but who I am and who I get to be with. Like we are beloved children of God. He's our Father. We have access to him and we can sit with him we can be with him, and we can just deepen this connection with him. We have that. John 15, 5 says it's our responsibility. If we're going to do anything, it's focus on the connection. If we're going to do anything, it's focus on the connection. I noticed that I was withering and dying. I needed intimacy, and I needed to rest and refresh my soul. And so this passage, Matthew 11, I don't know if it's going to be up there, and I don't know if I gave that, but come to me, all you who labor, labor and are heavy laden, task doers, and I will give you rest. Rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. It's connection. And so how about you? It's the question from the beginning. Are you task-oriented or are you connection-oriented? Are you somewhere in between? I feel like a lot of us lean towards task. I could be wrong. I know more task-doers than I know connected connection people. Um, 
give us lists and we'll, we'll get these things done. And God has given us, though, these real-life examples. I think this is important to see this, right? And I'm not talking about our jobs. That's task. But we were created to be relational, right? To be connected not only with him but with others. So you look at your friendships. They're connection. They're not task. If we do anything for our friends, it's because of the connection, because we know them, because we care about them. Right? What about our marriages if we're married in here? Right? What would our marriage look like if it was all task? Here you go, honey. Like, just do all that. Like, no, it's, the two have become one. It screams connection. Right? The two have become one. And we have to fight for it. In our marriages, we have to fight for it. We have to fight to stay connected. We have to date. We have to have coffee together. We have to talk, pray together. Like, there's things that we have to do. We have to focus on the connection. Right? Those of us that have kids, this is a tough one. How do your kids see you? Are you a task master? Or connection? Do they see you as someone who they're connected to? Who knows them, who loves them, who cares about them? Or are you just trying to fix them? Do they think that? You just want to fix me. Just give me things to do. That's a tough one. Um, I feel like I relate to my kids that way at times. You know? Like, rules without relationship leads to rebellion. We want with our kids, we want them to be obedient, and that's love, that's relationship. And this is what God desires for us. Like our obedience to him comes from our relationship with him because we love him, and we want to be with him. And the crazy thing is he wants to be with us. He wants us to have this life to the fullest, you know, that comes through this connection. So much so that he came. He came, he left heaven, came to this unclean world to rescue unclean people so that we can know him, be like him, get reconnected to the Father, and then together, as we become more like Jesus, go and do the things that he would have us do. He's given us the Holy Spirit, this connection, so that we can say, the things that I say is what the Father says, and the things that I do is what the Father has shown me to do. Right? So I don't know what this looks like for you, um, can't tell you what to do, right? That's a task. Defeats the message. Uh, for me, it took the crashing together of my worlds. You know, my life was knocked me down, was kicking my butt, and I had to take an inventory of what the heck was going on and come to this realization of how desperate I was for connection. It was God's mercy to me, right? The things that were happening weren't good, no way. I would change them in a minute, but it's taken me to this place that is good. And so now this idea of a connection to the Father is my top priority. Trusting Him with everything that's going on in this world and in my world is what I'm trying to do, right? Like I pray every day, Lord, help me to trust you. Help me to trust you, Lord. I want to, but you have to help me to trust you. And I trust Him to help me with all the things that I have to get done. And I wish this was true for me every day. I'm getting there. It's definitely a desire in my heart. But it's also caused me to look at my attachments and connections to this world. Like how attached, how connected am I to this world? And to detach, to disconnect, and to connect further and deeper with, with my Father. To take my cares and concerns to Him, right? Again, I'm not, I'm a work in progress. Um, I still struggle, especially when my kids struggle. I find myself giving them things to do. Here, do this, this will work, fix this, this will instead of just pointing them towards connection or giving myself to them in connection. 
Even this week, I had to fight every day. I've been thinking about speaking in front of you all for as long as we determined it was going to happen. And I think about it in the car, and I was in my sleep. I see myself preaching and talking, and when I wake up, it was so in the front of my mind. I had to fight for just putting those things aside and staying connected. But this I know, this I know, and it's for me and it is for you. All of life is meant to draw us deeper in our relationship with the Father, to drive us closer into a deeper, more connected, intimate relationship with Him. So again, I don't know who you are, most of you, some of you I do. I don't know where you are. I don't know what's going on in your life. But I know it's God's desire to have a deeper connection with you, a deeper relationship with you. And everything that's happening is for that purpose, so that He can know you, you can know Him, and He can help you become more like Jesus. And then together, together, you will go and do the things that he has for you to do. We are all beloved sons and daughters of his. We can represent him and we can witness of his glory and we can give a reason for the hope that we have and we can speak about how amazing our daddy is and how much he loves us and what he does in us and through us. Let me pray. Father in heaven, thank you so much, Lord, for coming. You loved us so much that you came. You left heaven, entered this sin-filled world to rescue, seek and save those that were lost, right? Those that were separated and disconnected from you. Lord, you did what we're incapable of doing. There's no task that we can do to make ourselves right with you. You did everything that was necessary, everything that was required. And you did it for us. And then you died for us, the death that we deserve so that we can have life but not just life on our own, Lord. You've given us the spirit to bind us to you, to connect us to you. Help us to know you more. Lord, help us to fight for connection. Lord, help us to make this a priority, to be with you, to spend time with you. Help us to know you, to trust you. Lord, we need help trusting you. Lord, help us to disconnect, detach, whatever it is from the world that we live in, and attach more and more to you, trusting that you are good, that you love us, and that you're in control. Lord, help us to see us for who we are. Are we more task-oriented or connection-oriented? And to maybe make some changes. Um, Lord, we'll trust you that you're going to do things in us. Lord, you're going to do things through us. And so I give you permission for me and maybe these people too, that you use us in ways that you see fit uh, to grow and, and extend your kingdom. Lord, thanks. We pray these things in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen.